hasn't been any sweeping lately. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, happy Thursday morning. It's the Lifestyle Business Podcast, where we believe building a business is the best way to create more personal freedom in your life. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Ist with the mostest, a man who's sitting right next to me. It's very nice to have you here, sir. Uh, he regularly includes the uh, hashtag YOLO in the subject lines of his email. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. That was, our, that was supposed to be our little secret. <laughs> if you guys stick around... To the end of this episode, we're going to share with you a 10-point business mindset diagnostic test. Um, This is one of these common themes, Ian, where people are stuck in their businesses and they're being held back by some limitations. And we're going to try to blast through those limitations in this episode by listening. It's sort of like a little bit of the greatest hits. It's also a Cliff's Notes to some of the concepts that we've brought up over the course of 143 arduous business podcast. Let's get on to the iTunes reviews, buddy. My favorite part of the show, I think. Nate gives us five stars, says, I listen to a lot of internet business and lifestyle entrepreneurship podcasts, but the LBP is by far my favorite. I cannot get enough of the informative and more importantly, actionable content that has had a real impact on my business. Thank you so much, Nate, for going to that iTunes interface and leaving us a review ski. Five stars, no doubt. Thank you, Nate. Got an email from Barry on LinkedIn. Just signed up for LinkedIn the other day and uh, was blown away by what's changed at the platform. I used to think that LinkedIn was for corporate types. Yes, I'm, I'm still I'm, I'm snickering right now. Yeah. You can't hear it, but yeah. You, so you told me you signed up for LinkedIn. I just like big eye roll. I had a good experience though because what I found is that there's so many LBP listeners on LinkedIn and they were incredibly supportive. Like I, I'd had maybe 25 email conversations over the last day. And it was just fun talking to. And plus now you can put content on LinkedIn, which I thought was part of the reason that we got involved. That's right. Yeah, I'll be on there next week. But uh, <laughs> no, we're, starting to, uh, we're starting to roll out some, uh, some PPC and we're starting to uh, roll out some content on there too. So. Yeah, Barry sent me a note saying, uh, I took a hold of an opportunity uh, uh, based on some inspiration and motivation I got from you guys. And that was back in August 2012, and that business just hit $10,000 a month in top-line sales. It's that kind of thing, Ian, if you join the LinkedIn community. I mean, people aren't tweeting about that stuff because Twitter is public. The thing about LinkedIn is it feels too much like a resume to me. That's why I'm scared of it. I don't want to get – right now, i got big gaps in my resume. (laughs) That's why I don't want to get on LinkedIn. All right. So today, we're going to talk about the 10-point business mindset diagnostic test. a lot of people, Ian, they're, they're stagnated in their businesses, they're maybe have an inability to act, and or maybe they're suffering from a little bit of the entrepreneurial Peter Principle. And the Peter Principle is something I think about a lot, because it's a cool structural idea. It started out as a joke, actually. But the idea is this, and I quote from Wikipedia. <clears throat> the Peter Principle is the belief that in any organization where promotion is based on achievement, success, and merit that organization's members will eventually be promoted to a level beyond their level of ability. The principle is commonly then phrased, 
employees tend to rise to the level of their own incompetence. And the cool thing about this is the ultimate meritocracy is not employees in a corporation. It's entrepreneurs. It's us. Right. And, and, and so we need to ask ourselves, are we at the level of our own incompetence? And is that holding us back from getting to the next level? And the cool thing about entrepreneurship is that we are creating organizations that have the potential to be bigger than us, to be smarter than us, to be beyond us. And we really need to, you know, this is why we run these 10-point diagnostic tests to figure out, is our company sort of leveling off at the level of our own incompetence? And are there diagnostics we can run to get ourselves around that? Do you want to get started? Yeah, buddy, let's get started. So number one, entrepreneurship is a skill. So the, the diagnostic here is, are you conflating your craft or trade with the craft of entrepreneurship? There's two things happening here. So let's say I'm a graphic designer um, and I want to go start a graphic design firm. As soon as I start that graphic design firm or I make that decision, then I become the entrepreneur too, right? Right. So then you've got these two different skill sets that you're developing. You're developing your skills as a graphic designer and then you're also developing your skills as an entrepreneur. The problem is, is that the, the they're very muddied in the middle very often and people don't distinguish what's a graphic design skill. Why did that guy just give me $10,000 because I'm a brilliant designer or because I'm a smart entrepreneur? And the, the critical element here is that if you're only getting good at graphic design, you will be subject to the whims of your industry. And that's not going to provide you with this long-term security that entrepreneurship provides you with. If you're a, a skillful entrepreneur and your boat's going down, you just jump to the next boat. And, and one of the things we were talking about when we were pulling together this episode is that a skill set is like a proxy for money or power. So if I were to give you a whole bunch of money, right? That'd be nice. You could immediately start developing the entrepreneurial skill set because you could buy a business and learn how to operate it, develop processes, develop management techniques. But because we started out broke, what a lot of us do is we bootstrap ourselves and using a skill. That's like a resource. It's a source of power. Right. So you go and you, you learn SolidWorks and then you're a SolidWorks CAD guy. Exactly. And then all of a sudden people start paying you money for that. And then you're like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur because I run a small business where I sell SolidWorks stuff. But you're forgetting that you're not maybe distinguishing the entrepreneurial skill set, which will give you long-term security, wealth, success, and happiness. All right. Well, maybe. Maybe not the happiness. Maybe not any of that stuff. But, you know, but that's going to be a much more sustainable skill set to build than building out your solid work skill set. Number two, are you planning for concrete future financial successes? So this is the vision thing. And what we were talking about a little bit is like this, there's this idea that money in a business is cash in, cash out, just like it's always been, right? But it's not really like that. There's this disconcerting feeling when you start a business like it's almost like surfing or you're standing on an earth that's moving around like plate tectonics. Like businesses become bigger than you in a financial sense. And if you don't plan for that future trajectory using strategic accounting, then you're going to be limiting that organization unnecessarily. And that could be what's holding you back. I had this idea when I learned about inventory turn ratio. So here's the great good news. You don't need to know about all this accounting stuff. You don't need to know how to run an accounting department. What you need to do is pull out strategic KPIs that could potentially give you vision on your business and apply them to your numbers and see if you can visualize your business at a whole nother level. For example, I'm gonna hijack your inventory turn story uh, because this actually happened to me today. So like we have this thing in our business, we say we need to achieve 60% margin on our products. Um, that's just something that we aim for. So 
one of the things that came up today was we're developing this new product. You guys can go check it out. It's the Jockey Box cover over at the Portable Bar Company. And um, one of the problems we're having is uh, finding the right supplier um, and finding the right price point. So we've got a really clear vision on how the product needs to work. Right. Um, and we've got a lot of customer feedback. We've got customers telling us they're ready to buy it now, but we're having problems on the supplier side and on, on how much it costs. So I've got a real clear vision of how much I know that product needs to cost for it to be a sustainable business. So that's what we talk about when we're talking about concrete future financial successes. So let's say the jockey box is gonna be a success. Well, there's gonna be new cash flow constraints introduced into our business, like buying more inventory, like doing more marketing. What's the lifetime value of a customer that buys these kinds of things? If you have a membership site, what's the churn rate? How so, much are we gonna spend on PPC, right? Yeah, so the, here's the thing is, when we're planning out jockey box, Ian and I are sitting down with a spreadsheet that's extended out 24 months. And part of the exercise here is to get these strategic kind of KPI or data points out there and help just expand your brain a little bit, like break your mindset, you know? What does it really look like to sell 100 jockey boxes a month? Yeah, and that's exactly the math that we did when we, before we even designed anything, before we even got the pen out, we said, what does it look like to sell 100 of these things a month? What is it gonna look like 24 months from now? And how much cash is it gonna bring us? Is this even a project that's worth doing? So you wanna, things you wanna think about is what is your value in a company that sells 100 of those jockey boxes? We talk a lot about this, especially for beginning level consultants. You can't undervalue your time if your plan has you doubling your business within eight months. So think about the future time value of your day-to-day -day time and start operating like that. That's one of the ways you can do the strategic accounting. Think about lifetime value of a customer, churn rate, cash flow predictions, projections, internal rate of return. There's all kinds of interesting little tools and you don't need to know everything. Just take one thing, oh, inventory turn ratio that's kind of interesting when i did an inventory return ratio of, of, a, of a business i was running one time it totally changed the way that we ran the business for the better because people were making judgments based on their mindset peter principle they were limited by what their immediate desires were by putting this cool graph out we all broke our mindsets and inhabited a much larger view all right number three are you rip pivoting and jamming your new business ideas or are you just full of good ideas I'd like to think uh, both. I don't know. What's the right answer? <laughs> Here's the idea. The Rip Pivot Jam episode number 90 is critical LBP listening. We want to revisit it regularly. The idea here is that you don't need to reinvent profitable business models. You need to identify people who are out there who have demonstrated it already, and then you need to pivot it to something that you know better, that you have better resources for, or somebody that you can pick a fight up. Number four, are you willing to be a little bit of a shit? My whole life, buddy. <laughs> My whole life. Ian and I are often accused of being shits. But here's the interesting... I'll, 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 Giving an inch, taking a mile kind of thing? Yeah, but, I'll, I'll, but for different reasons. And everybody has a different personality, right? And everybody has quirks that rub people the wrong way. But here's the thing. This isn't something that's unique to me and you. In fact, some of the most docile, nice people in the world that I know, I bet if you hung out with their small group of friends, you would hear... What really, there's just a couple things that rub people the wrong way. Here's the thing. When you become an entrepreneur or a writer or a podcaster or somebody who's just moving the world forward and that those particularities, those parts of yourself get amplified out into the world, they will rub people the wrong way. Even if, I mean, you know, even some of the nicest people out there in the marketplace I've seen hate stuff we, about that we've had we had a little uh jimmy johnson rubbing the wrong way uh 
early on in our business, Jimmy Johnson's a NASCAR driver. You look oh, at him; sorry. he just won the he just won the Daytona 500. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, anyways, uh, what happens is you you inflict change, and a lot of times people don't like change. So sometimes being a little shit is about creating some change in the world, and generally people don't like disruption like that. Yeah, and, and I think you got to confuse like you can't wear this kind of thing as a badge of honor all the time. I mean, you don't want to confuse like say say you have these clear set of outcomes you, you want to move your customers towards and they don't get there well and then you blame it on the fact that they all thought you were a jerk or something that's something you need to change like yeah. that's something you need to adjust but there will be collateral social shame and pressure people are going to look at you funny people are going to make fun of you you know and that's you have to be prepared for that and and i just a positive thing is it's worth it absolutely it's really worth it all right number five are you suffering existential angst from your hyper niche focus. Ian, you know, there are very few mistakes that are so commonly made as people being too scared to really focus their niche when they're just getting started or when they have low resources in a business. We started off manufacturing upscale cat furniture. Does it get much more niche than that? Well, yeah. I actually think that that was probably too broad, to be honest. I mean, if it were hand, I don't know. It's, it's, that's a tough one to say because that's a huge marketplace. Well, so there's a couple different levels. You could say uh, we manufacture pet products. Upscale designer litter products. hiders. Right. Cat scratchers. That, fair enough. That's the niche. So, okay. That's the difference then. We should have started a website called UpscaleLitterHiders.com for cats. Correct. Because it would... Here's the idea. It's cheaper to get a customer for UpscaleLitterHiders.com than it is for ModernCatDesigns.com. Because Modern Cat Designs is designing modern stuff for cats. Well, there's not as many pe- people won't convert as cleanly into that as they will into modern litter hires. Your customer acquisition costs could be double or triple. That could be a silent killer. And I'll tell you the reason why we did it. Uh, partially, it was because we were a little bit lazy. So we just said, I want to stroke my own ego and I just want to develop cool products for cats. So that gave me the ability to sit around all day and just say, hey, Dan, I'm over here designing 10 cool products for cats. Well, the biggest thing is that we just didn't know about this diagnostic. And and all the struggles that we had with that business at the beginning were because of this hidden killer that we didn't know about. If we could do it all over again, we'd start these hyper-focused little product brands because we'd acquire customers faster. We'd get more conversions. And then, of course, you can pull that into a bigger brand and and that like this podcast should have started as the digital nomad podcast and then one day it becomes this lifestyle business marketing podcast and uh, you look at what the adsense flippers adsense niche sites it's super niche people their customer acquisition their subscriber acquisition much faster than something like lifestyle business because lifestyle business are you you into that i don't really know who are these guys <laughs> what are they good at and let me elaborate on this i, I heard dan norris and john mcintyre talking the other day and dan asked john who branded himself as the autoresponder guy, right? Just the guy who does autoresponders. So if you need an autoresponder, go to John McIntyre. I think they're going for a thousand bucks. They're amazing. You'll make your money back in a couple weeks. Now, Dan asked him, are you scared? Are you like, are you scared about pigeonholing yourself? 
And, and you know, you can go listen to that podcast to listen to what his answer was. But my answer is no, that's exactly what you want to do, because what's going to happen and where this stuff all leads is two years from now, John McIntyre is not going to be the autoresponder guy. John McIntyre is going to be the freaking super duper Internet marketing guru guy or whatever he wants to be because he got traction. He has low customer acquisition costs. He has high lifetime value of a customer cost. He can steer those autoresponder guys into sales letters. How about this? How about that? Eventually, they're going to know him as the most broad brand guy of all time. But what everybody doesn't see is that it all started with one small micro brand, micro product, and that's how you get customers. So first year out, you can't be a business consultant. Please don't be. Consult me about how to fill in line number 16 of my tax returns for my business. Number six, are you looking to increase your fail rate? Are you developing processes and systems in your business to fail harder, fail faster, and fail better? I was watching this great video from Wob, Rob Wob, Wob, Wob <laughs> Rawling. <laughs> Rob, Rob Walling from Software by Rob and the great Startups for the Rest of Us podcast. It is. And it was interesting how he structured this talk. He showed how he actually continued to fail throughout his career, but what he actually got better at was not stopping his failures, but speeding them up. And so it, it took him less resources in both human and capital in order to figure out whether something was going to fly or not. And that is so true with us. Ian, is this jockey box thing going to work out? We got to figure out fast <laughs> if it is or not. Well, the reason you have to figure out fast whether it's going to work or not is because it's extremely expensive to be sitting on the fence with it, right? Yeah. Because uh, we're in development. It's kind of in and out of the design room. It's in and out of... It's very expensive to figure out if something isn't going to fail. Most of your ideas aren't going to be that good. That's just a truism across all boards. Like if I tell you guys a joke right now, most of you aren't going to say, Dan, could you write that down for me so I could bring that to the cocktail party next Saturday night? Very, very few jokes. Very few of those jokes are going to fly with you guys, but... The whole point is that you're looking for the ones that are going to fly, so you got to tell them all. Let's loop it back to point number one, because this is where people have a problem, because they identify with being a great graphic designer and not being a great entrepreneur. Great entrepreneurs figure out all these failures time and time again. Great graphic designers, they get a little bit sore in the heart area when someone says their design doesn't look good. Well, that's not entrepreneurship. Right. And like you just said, you know, failing- And by the way, I don't want to hate on graphic designers. I don't know if that's true <laughs> about graphic designers. I don't even know one. So like you said, failing, failing is the market talking back to you. And that's really what you need is the market telling you, hey, this is a good idea. It's validated or it's not a good idea. You want to figure out as fast as possible, whether it's yay or nay. I'm laughing because at the beginning of our business, we did all of our own graphic design. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember like the way some back of the machine dopey is, stuff uh, that we like the really derpy logos and stuff. That, I mean, it's not like everything looks good now, but it's getting it's like way better than it was. So. Way back machine is not, don't even go not our friend. Please don't go there. Number seven. Are you saying no to vampires? This is a simple one, but it's a gut check. Are there people in your lives who are bringing you down? Who are spending energy trying to convince to get on board? Are you sitting around the table on Saturday evenings trying to convince people about why your resume gap doesn't matter or why maybe you should take this entrepreneurship route? Say no. Just say no to vampires. I know they're very popular nowadays in the popular literature. Number eight, are you in a bad business partnership? Am I supposed to answer that? <clears throat> Can we have some dramatic music? Here's the thing about business partnerships, and we talk about this a lot. They are the number one most expensive thing that you'll do in your business. I mean, even a limited partnership, giving somebody 
30% of your business, 20%, 15%. I mean, imagine if I came to you and levied a new 15% tax on everything that you did, regardless of where you did it, for all time. Here's, here's one of the diagnostic tests that I think is really important, and this is something that, uh, that we've done in the past to figure out if our partnership is uh, working out. So one of the things that we look at is uh, trajectory. And luckily for me and you, we have like a very similar trajectory in our lives, um, in our finances. And like we're very much on track in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So it makes sense. You know, if, if you told me tomorrow um, that you wanted to move to Saudi Arabia because you met somebody special and you were going to start having a family, we would be on much different trajectories as of, as of today. And as I understand in Saudi Arabia, you're allowed to have very large families. Yes, so that's why I brought it up. could get expensive. <laughs> I get it. I see. So, so, so it's a trajectory question, right? And I think this is a question that me and you ask each other a lot because when we start a new idea and i'm harping on the jockey box here making it making it a uh, it's just awful it's it's an awful idea but <laughs> but the idea is like me and you're going to be working on jockey boxes potentially for the next five years so is the trajectory of our business is the trajectory of our lives set up to do that yeah and that's a question that we ask each other a lot in our and that's the lifestyle business question and also the second thing the diagnostic that we like to run is and you know, i ask people this all the time is it clever or gimmicky I am, I really am a hate, 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 hater about these clever gimmicky things like, hey, bro, if you like put up this website for me, I'll give you 35% of the, hey, bro, hey, bro, like these bra partnerships. Here's the thing. If you want to do a partnership, go to war. 50-50, put everything in the middle of the bucket. Make sure you got the same trajectory. Go to war. Number nine, are you playing the right games? Okay, a quick metaphor for you, Ian. We're like engines. And when you go to like lifehacker.com, They'll teach you about how to improve that engine. It's like, take a little bit of modafinil, drink two coffees, not three. Put some 93 octane in her. All that stuff. The whole idea with this, though, is that you can only improve yourself so much. But if you enter that engine into the different drivetrains, like, you could change your whole life. Right. So you're trying to run, let's say, a 12-second flat quarter mile, right? <laughs> and you've got a 302 5-liter. Oh, no, it's getting redneck now. <laughs> there's only so much you can do to that motor. But one of the things that you can do is put a set of 411 gears in that thing, yeah, get it off the line a little bit quicker, and then you might be running a 12-second quarter mile. And that's exactly it. I mean, I, and I, I'm sure everybody can think of this uh, moments in their lives like, I went to this really prestigious university in Canada for philosophy, and the program didn't appeal to me for whatever reason, but the material was the same. So I'm at this really prestigious drivetrain. I've got low profile tires up there. Uh, everybody's impressed by this entry item on my uh, resume, but I'm struggling. So I moved back to the South of the United States to a very small program where I'm getting daily support from my professors and working with them on my papers. And I excel. I'm on the honor society. I get, you know, I give speeches to professors about philosophy because now was the engine any different? No, I, was, really. I was the same dude. I was waking up, reading the same books, working on the same kinds of projects, right. but I was in a different drivetrain. Right. And so I think this is idea and it's scary, right? It's a lot easier in some ways to say, I'm going to work two more hours every day. I'm going to be more healthy and I'm going to be more productive. But it's harder to ask yourself, are you really in the right situation? And if we look honestly at our business, Dan, and like some of the projects that we've taken on the last couple of years, and I think this is true with a lot of people, like we go into ponds that we think we can be big fish in. We go where we think we can be successful. And, uh, you know, honestly, we haven't uh, seeking out some of the most glorious industries, you know? 
but we've seeked out industries that we knew that we could be successful in. Right. So, so we, we could do a whole episode entitled like me, uh, medium-sized fish in small murky ponds. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Dan and Ian. I mean, going into these like, you know, key boxes and jockey boxes and 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 in kitty cats and portable bars and all this kind of stuff. It's like, are we starting the next dig.com? No. Are we starting the next social network? No. You know, I mean, it's 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 this kind of thing where maybe someday when we've got that entrepreneurial skill set, the chops and a bunch of money, we could take a swing at those kinds of fences. But until then, it's like maybe go to the smaller school in the South, maybe move and set up your business in the Philippines instead of in New York City. Right. Maybe. And it's kind of these things. Make sure you're playing the right games because your engine is, is the RPM level is not going to change that much. Right. All right. Finally, number 10, one of our favorites. Are you writing your own scripts or are you opting in to the scripts that others are laying out for you? And I guarantee you there's not complete information out there. When you meet the people that are writing the ebooks, that are writing the guides, uh, they're just like you. They're people who maybe a couple steps ahead or, or did something one time, turned around and told people about it. But they don't have complete information. They don't know how life works or what's possible when you show up and you decide, I've got a clear idea of what I want to do. I want to get people on board with this. And this is just the exercise of running a true lifestyle business, which is asking yourself, do you really know what your goals are? Do you really know what your aims are? And can you match those up with these clear financial concrete goals? If you can find that nexus between those two things, boom chakalaka. Boom chakalaka. You got to sit down for 15 minutes a week and just decide where is my crappy life going? Every single week we do that. And it's, uh, it's my favorite 15 minutes a week, brother. All right, let's get moving on to just the tips. I want to point you guys to Jesse Lawler, the Dominator. He's the Dominator. his own theme music. This guy is like, he's a larger than life character in my mind. He looms large in the DC too. Everyone's I heard a story stories. about him. Yeah, chopping a coconut in front With of With a machete? People yeah. people tell, there's, there's like Lawler lore everywhere. Anyway, he has this great podcast called uh, an Interview with Sandra Bond, uh, one of the world leading experts on brain research and I really, really enjoyed this episode. Another quick tip about having podcasts Ian and I realized um, that our podcasts were downloading slower than other people's podcasts because we didn't have high quality hosting. So we moved all of our podcast archive over to Amazon S3. And when we say realize, we mean enough people told us that it was super annoying and that they stopped listening to our podcast because <laughs> it wasn't downloading fast enough. Ian, are you ready to jam, buddy? I got some incredible productivity music to play you out today. Actually, you were the one who pointed it out to me. I say YOLO. I love this song. It's Cascade with Dan Black. Uh, I had a great time this week. We'll see you next Thursday morning. Booyah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything 